1: Today is Pentecost Sunday, and we read about Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. When Pentecost Day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. There were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages. They were surprised and amazed, saying, Look! aren 't all the people who are speaking Galileans, every one of them? How then can each of us hear them speaking in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, as well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the regions of Libya bordering Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own languages. They were all surprised and bewildered. And some asked each other, what does this mean? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, if you were paying attention during the pandemic, you may recall that way, way back in August, Emily and I started a sermon series, the world's longest sermon series called This Is My Story. Uh, We attempted through this series to show how the Bible is more than just a collection of random stories and sayings and characters, but one Single story, a story about God's great love and God's desire to save, rescue, heal, mend a broken world. It's been a long series, but the purpose of it has been this. We wanted to show the way that God's story, which continues, intersects with our stories. Today we're drawing this story to a close. But it doesn't end today because it continues in each one of our lives and has continued throughout the history of the church. You may remember we started way, way in the beginning with the creation story, which showed us that God intended for us to live in a perfect world and to live eternal lives. But then, of course, came the story of Adam and Eve and the fall, their rejection of God's perfect plan, and with it, the, the uh, separating from God, the pushing away from God's plan, and the downward spiral into sin and violence and death. But God didn't give up. God never gives up. And so God began the work of redeeming, saving us. It began with an old couple named Abram and Sarai, later known as Abraham and Sarah, who became the parents of God's God's chosen people, the Jews, Israel, who God said would be a blessing to the world. You may remember that we worked our way through the Old Testament, familiar stories, familiar characters, all leading to the promise of a Messiah, someone who would come to be the Savior of the world. Of course, we know that person is Jesus. So this spring, we've journeyed with Jesus through his life, through his ministry, through his teachings, his miracles, leading, of course, to his journey toward the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And then then for the last several weeks, we've been focused on, on this period of time between the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, where Jesus would appear in resurrected form to his disciples And he gave them this one message over and over. Wait. He had been preparing them to continue the work beyond his death and resurrection to go spread the gospel throughout the world. But for 40 days, he kept telling them, wait. Not yet. They'd heard the messages. They'd seen Jesus perform miracles. They'd been part of that. But he kept saying, wait. Why wait? They needed one thing more. After three years of intense preparation with Jesus, his mentorship in their lives, they still needed one thing more. They needed someone to be with them, within them. They needed the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, 4 through 5, Jesus said to the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem But wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And as you just heard me read a minute ago, Acts 2.1 says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, today is Pentecost. The church has claimed that name for this particular event in our history and our story, but the Jews already had a day of Pentecost. Pentecost was one of the major festivals in the Jewish tradition. In fact, it was one of the three major festivals that included a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So at Pentecost, Jerusalem would have been filled with Jews from literally around the known world, uh, speaking all kinds of different languages. They came to to celebrate the Pentecost festival. The the Pentecost festival had two meanings. One, it coincided with the end of the wheat season. So wheat had been harvested. It was a time to give thanks. It also recalled the giving of the law to Moses. and So they were there on pilgrimage, Jews from around the world. It's not surprising that the disciples would be there, even if Jesus hadn't told them to go there and wait. They might have been there anyway. It was what you did if you were a a practicing Jew, as they were. But then the the unexpected happened. It, It should have been expected because Jesus told them it was going to happen, but clearly they didn't quite expect this. Acts 2, 2-4, two suddenly a sound from heaven like the howling of a fierce wind filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. Well, they were bewildered, like people didn't understand what was happening but this was the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. God had spoken many centuries before through the prophet Joel, saying that there would be a day when the Spirit would be poured out on everyone. Acts 2, 17-18. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young will see vision. Your elders will dream dreams, even upon servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. This was the fulfillment of that prophecy. It began with the disciples, then became available to everyone, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now let's be clear. Prior to that particular Pentecost, the average person, the average Jewish person Never expected or wanted to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That was for the exceptional person. That that included like prophets. They got anointed by the Holy Spirit. Some priests were anointed by the Holy Spirit. Some kings. But the average person, no, you didn't expect that. You didn't want that. They were content to be religious. To serve God. To obey God's laws. And to, to worship God at a safe Distance. When God gets close, that's a scary thing. When God gets close, God might just meddle in your affairs. Keep God at arm's length and do just what you got to do. But on Pentecost, everything changed. The Spirit was poured out upon the disciples and then poured out on all who heard the message. And the church was born and the movement of Christianity began. Now, the Holy Spirit should not have been a foreign reality to the disciples. They'd seen the Spirit at work in Jesus. Remember, at Jesus' baptism, the Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. When Jesus preached in the synagogue in Nazareth, he stood up and read from the prophet Isaiah, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. When questioned about how Jesus had authority over demons, he said he drove them out in the power of the Spirit. He said that we have to be born again, remember? Born of water and Spirit. He taught that if you want the Holy Spirit, all you have to do is ask and that the Father wants to give it. He promised the disciples that when he left, there would be a spirit of counsel and comfort to help them. But but how could they possibly understand what that meant? How could they know beyond their just their religious experience, their their religious duty, what it would mean to be full of the Spirit? How could they possibly understand it? I ride a motorcycle. I, I learned to ride a motorcycle when I was 13 and 14. I'd grown up on the back of my grandfather's Harley riding just about every Sunday afternoon. But when I turned 13 to 14, I was allowed to start riding one myself. It was a Harley, but it's the smallest Harley they've ever made. It was a little dirt bike. And I got to ride it in a field across the street from my grandparents' house in circles until I was old enough to take it on the road. It wasn't a very good motorcycle, it was prone to flooding. Now, I'm no mechanical expert, but what flooding means is that. Too much gas has been injected and the spark from the spark plug isn't enough to ignite the gas and so the gas floods the spark of the spark plug. And so one of the very first things I had to learn how to do to ride a motorcycle was how to change spark plugs. And I carried lots of them with me because it flooded over and over. I could hop off, change out the spark plug and and get going again and go in my circles. Now when I turned 15, I got to go on the road and ride my little dirt bike behind my dad and my grandfather on their Harleys. It still flooded just about every red light and stop sign. In addition, it only went 50 miles an hour, but my dad and my grandfather could go significantly faster. The first time I actually got to ride one of theirs, I was blown away by the difference in power. There's a difference between riding a little bike flooded all the time that doesn't seem to want to go anywhere that's always stalled out and a bike that you can turn on with an electric ignition and it can go. The difference in power is incredible. Maybe you've experienced that moment getting on an airplane when, when it takes off off the, off the runway. That, that feeling of power is the... Is the airplane takes off into the air or or maybe the the difference between you know a gentle summer breeze and and a gale force wind of a of a hurricane or a tornado maybe you've tried to cut down a tree with a a handsaw or an axe versus a chainsaw that'll cut through it like butter Maybe when you were a teenager, you had ridden a go-kart and then you got to drive the family car and like, whoa, this will go fast, right? You know, the the difference of power. There's nothing wrong with riding a go-kart. There's nothing wrong with using a handsaw, but power can take you to a whole new place. So imagine those disciples. They've been told to wait. They've been prepared for this moment, but how could they possibly imagine what was about to happen? All at once, a gale-force wind blows in It's the Holy Spirit, flames, tongues of flames fall upon each one, and they are instantaneously transformed. Moments later, the world would be a different place because of what began with them. They began speaking, preaching about the gospel of Jesus in languages that they didn't even know. Before we go too far into the story about what happened to the disciples, I want you to remember who they were. Remember, Jesus had hand-picked them. He had called them as he traveled from place to place. But these guys, more often than not, did not get it. Do you remember? How often they asked dumb question after dumb question. Remember, Jesus gave them the authority to do miracles, and sometimes they just couldn't make it work. Remember how often they would go to Jesus and say, who's your favorite? Who do you like best? Which one of us will be the one that's in charge when you're gone? They would make these bold claims of loyalty, like we will die with you and then fall short over and over again. On the night Jesus was arrested, he invited some of them to the Garden of Gethsemane to just be with them in his moment of distress. And what did they do? They kept falling asleep. When Jesus was arrested, they scattered. When Peter was asked, are you one of his followers, he denied even knowing him. They seemed to be in total shock when Jesus was crucified, even though he said he would be. As the women went to anoint the body on Easter morning, they were hiding the men behind locked doors. They seemed to be the slowest to believe or comprehend what had happened in the resurrection. When Jesus said to these guys, wait in Jerusalem, I suspect they didn't mind at all because they didn't know what was going on anyway. They were prepared, but they didn't seem to know what to do. But Pentecost changed everything. In that moment that the Spirit was given to them, they were radically transformed. Moments before, they'd been in hiding, but now they stepped out into the lights and preached to the crowds. Their previous fear and timidity was transformed into courage and boldness. Their their uncertainty and their doubts turned into conviction about the truth. Uneducated men from Galilee all of a sudden could speak world languages that they didn't know. They quickly became leaders not just followers. They were good followers of Jesus, but now they were leaders of a movement that would change the world. They were possessed by a power, and it changed everything. Think about that word, possessed. We use it in a negative way sometimes. That person is possessed. They were possessed. Possessed by the Spirit of God. How often previously had they seemed confused, even a little dim witted? But we got to give them a little bit of credit. With all of their mistakes, with all of their foibles, with all of their shortcomings, they had always been sincere. They had always been committed, especially to Jesus. I mean, we have to give them credit. They had left family, they left home, they left security, they left career. They basically did whatever Jesus told them to do. They, they were there when Jesus said, no, nope, it's time to go, let's go do the next thing. They were there when strange things happened. When Jesus was confronted by the authorities, they stood by him. They followed Jesus faithfully. They were devoted. Who could deny that? But with Jesus ascended, with Jesus no longer leading them, showing them the way, where were they going now? What good was all their religious devotion without Jesus? What what could they accomplish without Jesus showing them how to do it? Their devotion, as they were waiting there in the the upper room there in, in, in Jerusalem, Their devotion to Jesus hadn't wavered. It's just that it wasn't enough. They had firsthand experience of the resurrection, and yet they didn't seem to know what to do with it. There was no movement. There was no direction. There was no vision or plan. They were stalled out like a flooded engine. They needed something more. Raniero Cantalomesa is the preacher to the Pope. It's not a bad job if you can get it. He writes, people do not possess the Holy Spirit. Rather, people are possessed by the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, Pentecost Sunday aligns with a really important event in Methodist history. On May 24th, 1738, the founder of Methodism, John Wesley, had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. One night, he went to a Bible study at a place called Aldersgate Street in London. During this Bible study, something happened in his heart that he had never experienced before. He wrote in his journal later, I felt my heart strangely That That is a key Methodist expression. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Most Methodist scholars, historians say this was John Wesley's Pentecost moment. This was Methodism's Pentecost moment. Now, now John Wesley, prior to Aldersgate, was a deeply devoted spiritual man. He was a pastor's son and grew up in a deeply religious home. He went to seminary, studied theology, became an ordained Anglican priest along with his brother. He was Dutifully methodical in the way he practiced his religion. He he even became a missionary to Savannah, Georgia for a brief time. It was a complete failure. But even doing all of those things, John Wesley struggled spiritually with his faith. He battled self condemnation, struggled constantly with fear and self doubt, fear of God especially. And his ministry, as hard as he tried, was almost almost completely ineffective. For all of his religious belief and practice, for his titles, for for his ordination, it was no good until his heart was strangely warmed. It was nothing until he had an authentic encounter with the Holy Spirit. It was not about religious belief or practice. It was about an encounter with the living God. It was about becoming possessed by the Holy Spirit. The Methodist movement was born at a Bible study on Aldersgate Street almost 300 years ago when a person like you or me was filled with the Holy Spirit and their heart was strangely, unexpectedly We're here today because the Holy Spirit touched somebody's life. That's what Pentecost is really about. It's not just a historic moment in the church. It's not just a good way to end a sermon series. It's not just one more Bible story we're supposed to know. Pentecost is about the promise, the desire of God for each one of us to have an encounter with God not to keep God at a safe distance, not to settle for religiosity and belief, but to have an encounter, to have the Holy Spirit come and live within us and transform us. That's essentially what this is all about. So what about you? What about me? And what about First Church? Is this just Another day on the church calendar? Just another thing we do religiously? Or is this the day that we remember there's an invitation awaiting all of us that we can be filled and transformed by God's Holy Spirit? What would happen? What would happen to First Church if we let the Holy Spirit take it and possess it? What would happen to you What would happen to your family? What would happen to your career if you let the Holy Spirit come and take possession of it? Gordon Cosby was the founder of the Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C. He used a different expression. He talked about being seized by the power of a great affection. Hear that word seized, possessed? The Holy Spirit comes and takes your life. Bishop Michael Curry explains his own experience as this. He says, I was becoming more and more open to letting the Spirit of God breathe through me and make me new. Therein is the source for real personal change, evolution, and transformation, and it's never ending. It might be that you're not comfortable with the word possessed. But the truth is we're all possessed by something, aren't we? Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's unintentional. All of us are possessed by certain belief systems. All of us are possessed by our possessions, (laughs) believe it or not. Some of us are possessed by guilt, shame, insecurity. Some of us are possessed by our compulsions spending money, addiction. Some of us are possessed by our careers. We call them occupations, right? They occupy occupy us. We're all possessed by something. The question is, why not be possessed by the Holy Spirit? That's what we were made for. Friends, are we more like the pre-Pentecost disciples who were absolutely devoted and sincere but lacked spiritual power? Or are we like the post-Pentecost disciples who were utterly transformed into new creation and gave birth to a movement? Are we more like the pre-Aldersgate John Wesley who also was deeply devout but wholly ineffective Or are we like the John of Aldersgate who felt his heart strangely warmed and an encounter with God transformed his life and started a movement? are we like my old motorcycle sitting at the red light waiting for somebody to change a spark plug? Or are we like a turbocharged engine ready to roar? Acts 2, verse 47 says, After this event on Pentecost Sunday, the Lord added daily to the community of those who were being saved. Verse 41 tells us specifically 3,000 people who heard the disciples preaching in all of these languages repented and were baptized that day. And the movement began and the move- movement kept beginning. And you know what ignited the movement? Church programs, buildings, religion. No, the movement that changed the world began with a spark. The Holy Spirit. in The lives of 12 ordinary men who became vessels filled with the Holy Spirit. And then more, and then more, and then more. People who became possessed, What are you possessed by today? Are you ready to be possessed by the Spirit of God for which you were made? Let us pray. Jesus said, "All we have to do is ask. He said, "Ask and ye shall receive, seek." And you will find, knock and the door will be opened. How much, how much the Father wants to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. All we have to do this morning is say, come Holy Spirit. Come take possession of this life. Come take possession of this family. Come take possession of this church. where there is opening, where there is space to be filled, where there is a heart that welcomes him, the Spirit comes. Holy Spirit, come to that, will you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future.